Welcome to Understanding the Law. Your host for the program is Peter Lamont. Mr. Lamont is a business and personal law attorney and the principal of the law offices of Peter J. Lamont. The firm has offices in New Jersey, New York, Colorado, Puerto Rico, and affiliated offices throughout the country. Understanding the Law is a weekly radio broadcast discussing a variety of legal topics that affect our listeners. Please note that this broadcast does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship with any of our listeners. As always, we welcome calls from our listeners. If you wish to discuss any of today's topics, please call our switchboard at 347-855-8831. And now, your host, Peter Lamont. Hi, and welcome to episode 51. Today we have with us Harry Hughes a member of the National Socialist Movement. We're going to get uh, to Harry in a minute. We're going to be talking about um, his, his stance on immigration and gun control and other relevant issues that we have talked about on the show in the past. Uh, but before we get to Harry, I just want to thank our sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Trigger Smart, creators of the patented child-proof RFID smart gun. To learn more about Trigger Smart, please visit them online at www.triggersmart.com. Uh, I want to begin by saying that, as always, the views of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or the law firm. Uh, we think it's important for our listeners to hear all sides of debates concerning current issues. Harry, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, by way of introduction, Harry is um, a member of the National Socialist, Socialist Movement. Uh, he is the director of Region 11, which includes Arizona, California, Nevada, Utah, Ireland, and the UK. Harry, let's just begin by going into a little bit about uh, you and your background, um, you know, what your educational profile is, and, and you know, how you, you, you came up in this world. So give us a little bit about, uh, about you. Well, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of western Pennsylvania. I uh, lived in a rural-type uh, community. I uh, attended the University of Pittsburgh, and uh, about two weeks after my 21st birthday, graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Geology. I also took a lot of courses in chemistry and geography and uh, in criminology. So um, I, uh, you know, kind of expanded my, my horizons a little bit, and I was in a position where when I got out of school, I was faced with an economic situation, and I was forced to move to Arizona. There was you know, little or no work in Pennsylvania, so I found myself in Arizona, and 30 years later, I'm still here. So uh, I, I worked in a number of different fields, uh, you know, technology fields, aerospace. I worked in a genetic lab. I Done production and you know a variety of different things over the years and um, kind of a jack of all trades so to speak and um, finally I, I started getting involved in political things and uh, was having a real hard time finding where I wanted to go and um, I, I quickly learned that uh, the the Republican Democrat thing was a like a two part two party monopoly it wasn't going any place I started exploring third parties and. You know, I, I did a lot of exploring, and I finally found myself at the National Socialist Movement. You know, five years ago, I never thought I'd, I'd be here, but here I am. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the National Socialist Movement, and then we'll get into what you do, and then your political views. Um, you know, I, I think that there is a great deal of confusion concerning the use of the term socialism, uh, because politically speaking, there are a variety of meanings for the word socialism. There are a variety of types of socialism. Um, you know, my general understanding is that socialism is uh, meant to be more of a community shared, um, you know, large business and, and government um, you know, program whereby everyone shares in the ownership and that sort of thing. And that's correct. All right, and and that is different than fascism and communism and capitalism. Um, so, you know, in general, when people hear about 
the National Socialist Movement. They are thinking of one thing in particular, and I'm sure you've heard it a million and a half times before. They equate your organization or the organization that you belong to with uh, a hate group, with um, you know, a, a neo-Nazi platform. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about what you believe your organization is about and uh, what form of socialism you are, are seeking uh, to establish. Well, when people see National Socialist Movement, they automatically zero in on the word socialist, National Socialist. And what makes us a little different than other uh, economic and political you know, philosophies is that we do have it, believe in a free market uh, a system. So national socialism is a free market system where there are government controls. All, all, all forms of uh, government have controls in their economies. You know, we, you know, the United States is a very good example of that. You know, we have a, a free market system based on capitalism, but we have tremendous government controls on, 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 our, on our economy. So um, you know, that, that shouldn't scare too many people. Yeah, we're often referred to as neo-Nazi, and I, I understand how that happens too. But we we promote ourselves as a white civil rights organization and a political party, for the most part. Yeah. Now let me ask you a question, um, because it seems as though even even if you know you you look at the word socialism and you apply it to your organization, um, fascism which is what many political analysts believe that the Nazi party truly was. Fascism meaning you know, extreme governmental control over the population and programs and the economy and that sort of thing. So are you, do you consider yourself to be a neo-Nazi group? And, and doesn't the idea of Nazism and fascism sort of, uh, isn't it the antithesis? Of socialism? Um, well, I don't really call ourselves, I don't refer to myself as neo Nazi. You know, neo meaning new. There's really nothing new about us. And, um, you know, we, we prefer the term national socialist. Nazi, of course, is a derogatory term. It's, um, you know, this is going back to 1940s Europe. This is 21st century United States. So, uh, you know, we, we, we try to, you know, create a little bit of distance there. However, we do have a swastika on our symbol, which is a, uh, you know, a stumbling block for a lot of people when they see that because it you know, does stir up some bad memories, and I understand that. But, um, you know, nonetheless, we, uh, we, we try, we're, what we're trying to do is promote a, a nonviolent change in this country, and we, you know, if we were to come to power tomorrow, we would probably be more constitutional than the, our current system is today. And, you know, we're not truly fascist. You know, I, I always think of Mussolini and fascist Italy, and that that was a very rigid, um, you know, hierarchy there. And, you know, we don't want to do that. Uh, uh, a good example of where we kind of want to go with our movement, we can we can look to Japan. They're a racially homogenous country. They have a national socialist type government in place. And, um, you know, they, uh, of course, are not called Nazis because they're Asians. So but that's kind of what we're leaning towards. We're, you know, we, we don't want to, well, most people see us and they automatically think we want to return to a third Reich. You want to, like, turn the clock back 70 years, which, you know, is impossible to do. And that that's... Some of the misconceptions is is in that that image that people you know want to see. All right, now I want to get back to that in a second, but I want to point out some of the things that you do uh, that would probably surprise some people. Uh, I'm specifically referring to your activities um, on border patrol between Arizona and Mexico. And my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that. You are patrolling the borders. You're, you're not deputized, but you're doing it um, you know, of your own free will. You have a group or a team that goes with you, and that you are identifying people who are crossing the border illegally, drug smugglers. Um, and in addition, 
you know, you are trying to keep your area safe, um, picking up, cleaning the environment. Um, and I think that if, if that's what you're doing, I think a lot of people would be surprised to hear that. Uh, does that accurately reflect what you do on your border patrol? Uh, that's very accurate. Uh, we started that back in officially in 2010. We were doing footwork long before that, but we officially started doing these patrols in 2010, and immediately you know, the, the media grabbed it and you know labeled us as vigilantes, and you know they figured we'd all shoot ourselves and get arrested in fairly short order. And you know, several years later, or that that hasn't happened yet. But I, I work with a lot of different, you know groups in this. It's not just an NSM thing. There's Minutemen, militia groups, uh, just private citizens, and uh, I happen to live in what I like to call cartel country. Uh, there's a, a drug and human smuggling corridor that dumps right into my neighborhood. You know, I'm, I'm, only, I'm only five minutes away from the trails, and um, we strictly operate in an observe and report capacity. Uh, again, we're not deputized. We, we are not allowed to uh, you know, apprehend or detain people, uh, and um, what will frequently happen. In fact, uh, a lot of our people have taken search and rescue courses at the local college here. So nine times out of ten, we, we will go out into the field, and if we do encounter people, it's because they need rescued. And, um, you know, we will offer humanitarian aid. We, we bring extra water with us. We will, you know... Uh, you will provide medical attention or acquire medical attention if need be. And uh, uh, ironically, uh, the first time we come across a group of people, we, we, we caught them, you know, on the worst day of their life. We, we saved them. And in, in yeah, a token of our, our appreciation was uh, uh, I found myself on the Southern Poverty Law Center's Hate Watch blog for, for doing that. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> It seemed kind of ironic. I'm out here doing a good deed, and I was, of course, criticized for it. Well, let me ask you. So, you know, you you mentioned the fact that you are uh, clearly a reconnaissance organization when you're on the border patrol. Um, So just so that people that are listening understand, you do not shoot people, correct? That's correct. We don't shoot people. You do not torture. You do not rape. You do not arrest. Is that all accurate? We basically, we try to avoid contact if possible because, you know, that that opens up, you know, Pandora's box. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally when we do come across people, it's because, you know, they are, you know, a day away from being dead. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, just a, you know, the, the more contact with people we have, the more likely we would have a problem, you know, with, you know, someone saying we did something that we didn't do. So we actually, uh, the bulk of our operation is observe and report. We use a lot of trail cameras and things because <clears throat> we can't always be out there all the time. So we, we have hidden cameras out there. We take thousands of pictures, uh, you know, e- even inside military bases and things, and just just to show how, how secure our border really is. And, all right, now, when you find these people, and the people that you're referring to are... Are, are who are they drug smugglers? Are they people just seeking asylum in this country? Who are they? Uh, for the most part, where I live, we encounter drug smugglers. Now we, we do, we have a lot of agriculture where I live, so yeah, we do have a, a lot of people to come this way to to work in the fields. So you know, there, there's a mix, but primarily what I encounter in the you know, more rugged terrain here are the drug smugglers, and there, there's a, there's no shortage of them. It's uh, you know, it's a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry, and uh, uh, there was an operation here a couple of years ago where 30,000 pounds of dope was taken from like nine homes right here in my neighborhood. So it's it's a you know not a small problem; it's a fairly large one here. Now, you know that seems to be a good thing that you're assisting in uh, reconnaissance with respect to drug smoking, because I don't think there's anybody in the country that would. Um, suggest that drug smuggling into this country is an acceptable or good thing. So let me ask you this. Your association with the NSM, 
Do you believe that in any way it hurts your ability to gain um, more attention and, and positive um, assistance with what you're trying to do in Arizona? Because as you pointed out, you know, there are people that cannot get over the use of the swastika on your MSN, uh, uh, NSM flags and propaganda. It seems as though what you're doing is not quite the same as what the Nazis did. So if you find someone you know, crossing the border and they happen to be uh, a non-white Hispanic and they need water, do you help them? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're humans, you know, and I don't want them dying here. I, uh, what, what most people don't understand is that I don't wish, you know, non-white races any ill. You know, I, I don't wish them any harm. And uh, that, that's, you know, that's really confusing to our opponents because, you know, they've been, you know, they have a mindset that we're these, you know, um, big Nazi skinheads with a head shaped like a big toe and we, you know, drink beer and we do this and that and we, we hurt people. And that's, that's contrary to what we really are. And it's a, it's a hard, it's a hard barrier to break. And this is, this is a big part of what we do here. And we can, of course, the, the mainstream media will not put National Socialist and Humanitarian in the same sentence ever. Right. So, you know, this is, this is, this is, this is cutting edge for us. And, um, you know, and part of my association with this group gives me media attention, and we bring them down here to Arizona frequently. And I, I have documentary crews and photographers that come down here, and I show them what's really happening down here. And, and I hope that they go back and they you know tell the story once they once they return home. Now, do you get any assistance from local law enforcement, or do they believe that you are, um, you know, a hate monger? Well, I, I have a, a fairly positive, unofficial working relationship with the Bureau of Land Management, the Border Patrol, the various sheriff's offices and things. So they know what we're doing. They can't officially, you know, participate or, or you know, work with us. But um, out in the field, the boots-on-the-ground guys tend to, uh, you know, that, that we're, we're, we cooperate with one another out there. Uh, the political leaders uh, would have a problem with this, but I uh, said so rank and file, you know, deputies and border patrol agents don't seem to have a problem with what we're doing uh, as, as long as we don't interfere with their, uh, you know, day-to-day operations. And you know, we, we do give them a heads up, and they'll give us a heads up if they happen to have something going on in a, a particular area. So we stay out of each other's way, but we do cooperate, and, you know, because, you know, we, when we do come across people with, you know, uh, you know, one of the first numbers I call is the Border Patrol. So, you know, right, we, so we have... Th- this sort of seems to be contrary to what a lot of the publicity that you're getting is suggesting with you being a vigilante. Yes, you have armed Border Patrols, but if you're not acting in a vigilante manner, you're cooperating with local law enforcement, what is it that you think people are picking up on and saying... They're a vigilante hate group when, in essence, you're telling me that you've never killed anybody, never raped, never stolen from anybody out there. You're helping people, whether or not they are, are white. Uh, you're cooperating with local law enforcement. So what do you think is behind this idea of vigilante label that you have? Oh, there's a lot, there's a lot of people who, you know, just, just don't like us, and uh, they will you know, resort to any means necessary to discredit us. And, and there, there, there's various watchdog groups. I, I mentioned the Southern Poverty Law Center. There's also the Anti-Defamation League. And, uh, well, the, the, those organizations are, are probably more of a hate group than we are. And uh, uh, they don't get a paycheck if they don't have a boogeyman. So uh, it, it pays them to actually have, you know, people on their lists and watch lists and things. And, that, and that's how they generate income. And, uh uh, that's such part of it, and you know, there's a there's an official narrative that we don't actually fit in. So they uh, really try to skew, you know, what we do. We we have a couple public events each year in various cities across the country, and you know, they'll, they'll they'll show us with our flags and our our, our, our uniforms and things, and then they show the counter protesters on the other side of the street. What they never 
actually is, what we really say. They will say that we're promoting hate, when in fact, you know, if you ever attend one of our events or listen to our speeches, which are all on YouTube, um, you know, there, there's, there's no hate-mongering about us at all. In fact, we have a, a political and, and uh, economic message that we, we try to put out there, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot more mainstream than most people would ever imagine. Let me ask you this then, okay, because what we've talked about thus far is you doing things in, um, you know, a humanitarian manner. Because, again, I'm going to go back to the point that I don't think anybody in this country uh, accepts the fact that illegal drugs are being smuggled into the country. It obviously is creating a problem for, you know, U.S. citizens. But... You know, this this connection that you have with the NSM, there are portions of it that to an outsider seem to be contradictory. And that may or may not be hurting your ability to sort of become more mainstream with what you're doing. So let me ask you a little bit about um, about the NSM's leadership. So is it still being led uh, by Jeff Shoup? That's correct. Uh, Jeff Stoops is the commander of the organization. And, uh, you know, we're nationwide. We have, you know, various regions that, are, that can be carved the country up into various sections. And each, each one of these areas has a leader. And we, 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 have a, we have what we call a chain of command. Okay. Now, Jeff has had some, some problems in the past. Um, there have been allegations made against him. Um, there's been... Uh, information about prior arrests for for burglary, uh, and then there's been allegations that he was involved with, um, I, I believe it was an Arab background female, and there are allegations of, um, I believe, uh, a racially mixed child. So, you know, that would seem to be contradictory to what he's talking about on his YouTube videos and what the movement is. But then there is an element of militarism when you watch the videos. So first of all, A, what is your take on on Jeff? And I'm sure, you know, I'm not asking you to criticize in any way. I'm sure you work with him. But I'm just trying to figure out what is your take on these allegations and whether or not, you know, this affects your message. Well, um, we have a lot of critics. Uh, we, we have, you know, a broad array of them. And what happens is when you start sending a message out, you will be attacked from all corners and all angles. And, um, you know, mixed race, uh, you know, children is a, is, a, is a common one. Another thing people like to throw out there well, when you start becoming effective, you're an FBI informant. Or, um, you know, um, generally what happens is if, you, if you're... If you have any kind of legal or, or conflicts and things, that's because you're doing something right. You know, I I found myself in, in legal entanglements already. You know, for things that never happened, and uh, I, I I even ended up in jail one time because I didn't want to lie in court. So I mean, it it, um, it comes with the territory. And when you're a leader of any kind of organization, uh, you are going to um, you know be bombarded with all sorts of controversies. Uh, so a friend of mine, he ran for governor here in 2006, and, you know, no sooner than he announced his candidacy, people were suing him and everything else. So it's, it's just, um, it's part of, uh, it comes with the territory when you do anything controversial or you stick your neck out there, people are going to try to chop it off. And that's, you know, I mean, uh, Commander Jeff's personal life is just that. I, 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 I actually met his ex-wife and you know i had no idea that uh, she was uh, you know of arab ancestry and if you look at the arabs themselves particularly in syria there's a lot of blonde-haired blue-eyed syrians over there so you know arab you know isn't necessarily a race so that's another thing that people don't understand so look at assad the, the leader of syria you know he has blue eyes he appears caucasian and uh so uh, again, you know, that whole Arab thing, you know, uh, is is designed to, you know, bring about negativity because, after all, uh, 
most of the Arab world is Muslim, and we're being constantly told to hate those people, you know, through our media and through other groups and things. And From what I understand, your organization is a political movement versus a religious movement, and you you accept people of all religions. That's correct. As far as I yeah, understand. We, we, we find that if you start becoming religiously involved, you find yourself fighting most of the time. So one of our policies is, you know, we, we tend to, you know, park the religion at the door and we'll, we'll sit, you know, you know, try to be more political about other things. And that seems to be working for us. There's other organizations out there that are, are more religious. For example, Aryan Nations, they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ Christian. Okay. So, you know, it would be pretty, pretty, pretty hard if you were an Odinist to get involved with them. But we, 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 we tend to accept all religions uh, for the most part, uh, with one exception, that's Judaism. So, um, you know. Okay. Now, going back to something I asked you before, uh, with respect to your ability to enter the mainstream with your message, because you are still viewed by so many as a fringe group, a hate group, and all the things that we talked about earlier. Um, but it seems as though, from what you're telling me, there are a lot of views that you have that are similar to mainstream politicians like Ron Paul. Do you agree with that? Uh, that would be 90-some uh, percent correct there, yes. Uh, we, we tend to have a, a conservative uh, leanings, however... Uh, you know, we, we tend to take the better points of the left and the right. So there, we, we, we think we can, you know, harvest, you know, things from the left and from the right. In fact, I did, a, I did an interview back in October with a, an outfit from the United Kingdom, and they, they actually thought I sounded like one of those Occupy Wall Street people when I was talking to them. And so, well, you know, we have a few things in common, and that, that's what we try to, try to promote. You know, we do have things that we can talk about and, um, a couple of months ago, we sent a delegation to uh, a the national conversation at race in Beverly Hills, California, where we actually talked to black leaders. So we're, we're not afraid to talk to, uh, and communicate with other groups. So this isn't national socialism; isn't strictly for whites. Uh, you know, we, in fact, we encourage uh, you know uh, uh, the people who have come here from Mexico to go back to their country and you know fix it and, and install a national socialist type political system and. and in their country. You know, this is something we encourage. Okay, we're going to talk about uh, your immigration policy in one second. I just want to make one final observation, and I have a question for you. Now, clearly, I think if you look at the history of the swastika, there's an understanding that it is ancient in origin, Germanic in nature, um, and did not originally mean what the Nazis took it and adopted it and created. But there is no doubt that right now the swastika has Nazi implications as opposed to anything else. Um, and so if your message is, is a positive message, don't you think that the use of the symbol and some of the, uh, the Nazi uh, sort of uh, underpinnings don't you think that that hurts you? Because if you take someone like Ron Paul, who has similar views, he's mainstream. He's he's you know running for president, and people don't despise Ron Paul the way that they look at your group. And and part of it has to do, I think, with the way that he presents himself versus the way the NSM presents itself. Do you think that that has a negative impact on you? And why? Do you go that way? Well, I was involved with another group before the NSM came along, and we, we didn't use a swastika. We didn't have public uh, rallies or events. We met in a little room in the library and things, and they uh, still called us Nazis. So it didn't really matter if we had a symbol or not. And one of the reasons we leave it out there is because that it was uh, the symbol that you know fought against the communists. We're very anti-communist. You know, we're the antithesis of communism. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's part of the reason we, we keep the symbol out there. And um, if we back up about half a century, we had a, uh, a figure uh, who came on the scene. His name was George Lincoln Rockwell. 
and uh, he was a uh, involved in marketing. He was a World War II veteran. He he brought about National Socialism in the United States in the early 1960s, and uh, he learned also that it didn't ma- matter what kind of symbol or no symbol you use, they're still going to call you a Nazi. So he, you know, decided, well, if they want their Nazis, we're going to give them their Nazis, and that's what he did. And much of what he had to say 50 years ago has actually come to pass. Uh, he did a speech at Brown University in the mid-1960s, and I, I recently listened to it, and it almost sounded like he, it was, this speech was given last week. It was, you know, back to, you know, up-to-date and contemporary. Now, the difference, though, with him is that he identified himself as a, a Nazi. He identified himself as, as or, or he's at least known as the founder of the American Nazi Party. So there was some sort of um, desire to align himself with Nazi, you know, beliefs, where it seems as though you're saying that yours is different. Uh, we've evolved since then. We, we've, you know, look at our, we, we have a flag now. It's, it, it's a combination. You know, we have a swastika on it. And we also have USA in bold letters, and we have red, white, and blue colors on it. So we, we are attempting to, you know, this is a, a, a work in progress, a transformation into something that, you know, people might, you know, again, the, the swastika is designed to, you know, also to help get some of the, the, the fence sitters off the fence. You know, and uh, five years ago, I, I never would have dreamed I'd be, you know, you know, in this organization at all. It was something that hadn't occurred to me, you know, as I was exploring other groups at the time, and it was, you know, it's it's kind of, it, it's strange. I, I'll admit it right now. It's very strange. I never, you know, again, it's just a, you know, it was one of the last things I thought I'd be doing in my life and, and until I got to know the people in the organization. And, now, is you know, your organization, the, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, from the outside looking in, it was really hard to tell. So, you know, I, I, I became a supporter, and, and I spent a full year just kind of observing and, you know, monitoring the group and going into meetings and things before I ever joined. So now, is your a, group different than Ku Klux Klan or some of the skinhead factions? Uh, we're, we're quite a bit different. Uh, there's a, the Ku Klux Klan now is highly fractionalized. There's so actually some of the some of the clan groups will actually march with us, and others won't. And uh, they're 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 deeply uh, seated with religious views, and they're they're a Christian organization too. So uh, if you're an Odinist or atheist, you're you're not going to fit in with the clan. Uh, skinheads, well, a lot of our membership are are skinheads, and we we try to. You know, it's a transformation thing. We want to transform skinheads into national socialists. We also uh, have a large percentage of, of uh, combat veterans come to our organization, and, and most recently we're getting a lot of women involved with our group. So, um, you know, we're trying to trying to open open more doors and then close them. And yeah, I understand how having a a infamous symbol, you know, can be a an obstacle. But you know, I tend to try to look beyond the symbolism. Okay. All right, let's start talking a little bit about uh, your, your positions as far as immigration. So clearly we understand that as part of your border patrol, you are seeking to turn away people who are trying to enter illegally. You know, let, let me ask you, all right, let me ask you your opinion about individuals who have come from other countries, whether they're South American, whether they're, you know, from Canada, whether they're from... Asia, Europe, wherever. People who have come here legally, who have applied, who have obtained citizenship, and who are contributing members to society. What is is your political belief as to those people who are here in this country? Well, the legal immigration versus illegal, that's that's, that's an easy one. Um, You know, if you have go through the proper channels and you, you do the right things. That, that, that's, I have less of an issue with that. But we're in a position right now in this country where we have some, you know, we have millions of people here in this country who are out of work. And, um, you know, we, we need to also, I think, <coughs> pardon me, address the issue of legal immigration. How many more people can we take? Uh, we're, we're no longer an industrial nation. We're not producing much of anything right now. We, you know, have 
you know, anywhere from 20 million to up to, from what I heard, 93 million people out of the workforce. So, you know, how can we sustain this? And, you know, when we import, you know, we're importing 100,000 plus refugees in this country every month. Uh, you know, most of those people end up on welfare. In fact, legal and illegal immigrants make up somewhere between 57 and 61 percent of the wealth, uh, of them end up on welfare. Uh, how, how long can we keep keep doing that? You know, we we as a as a nation, we're a very you know benevolent group of people here of the whole world. We need to think about us once in a while, and it, it's just you know we need to put up we need to put the brakes on this because. You know, we we are struggling in this country. You know, this is our what sixth or seventh year of recovery now, and we're 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 still you know circling the drain when it comes to our economy. I think that there are a lot of people in the mainstream that would agree that you know a nation, any nation, cannot continue to take in people because it just becomes too much of a burden on the economic um, system and the infrastructure and whatnot. Um, but that's different than a message of, you know, take everybody who's here that that didn't originate from, um, let's say, a, a white the white race and move them all out. Is that the political view with respect to immigration that the group has, or is the group more along the lines of everyone who's here legally should be able to stay regardless of their their uh, skin color or, or race. Well, ultimately, what the what the NSM wants is to actually have an all white homeland. That that's something we were looking for as a as an end game. But you know, we, we we can't do it all in one big step. So we have to we have to consider you know you know you know and again you know people who are here legally you know you know they're they're, they're productive. I I don't have a personally I don't have an issue with that, but. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, we only have a, a percentage of those, you know, people coming into this country who are productive. And um, in my neck of the woods here, we have people here who are illiterate in their own language, and then they, they come here and, uh, um, you know, it's, it's difficult. You know, I mean, it's, you know, we we have a, a school system here where I live where we've got students showing up for their first day of class, can't speak English. You know, you, you know they're going to have, you know, you know, that nothing but problems here and most of them are fish out of water for for for, for decades and we just you know it, it's really not fair to them either to you know put them on uh put them on food stamps and section 8 housing and then uh, not support them all that time and it's not fair to them and it's not fair to us and that, that right, seems now, to be the now you you had, you had mentioned that the overall goal would be to have an all-white america do you think that that is even a, a, a reasonable thing to to think of at this point? I mean, it seems impossible. Well, you're right. With the demographics, it would be next to impossible. That's why I said an all-white homeland, not necessarily in America. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean? We have we, well, we we have communities in this country already that are racially homogenous, and they make their own rules up, and they you know are basically you know or you know in control of their own own uh, destinies and we call those Indian reservations I live about two miles away from one and um, you know perhaps we can well it's ultimately, ultimately it's going to happen you know sooner or later we're going to see a balkanization you know it, it, we we watch this in Europe or we're watching it happen in, in in Russia and it's just a matter of time before that happens because we, we what we've learned from history is that a large central government like we have right now, we have an empire. It's not a democracy. It's not a uh, a constitutional republic anymore. And, uh, you know, sooner or later, uh, it's going to, you know, all the air is going to be let out of the balloon and we're going to end up, you know, you know, balkanizing one way or the other. And um, we're kind of like the advanced team in the NSM because sooner or later, you know, this is, this is something that's going to happen. All right, now let's uh, let's just jump forward into your take on gun control. Okay, so clearly um, you carry a gun, your team carries guns. There's a big debate in this country over gun control, over um, protecting children and others from gun violence, 
And on one side of the debate, there are people saying it's not guns that kill people, it's people that kill people, and that if you are a criminal and you are going to uh, engage in some sort of violent activity, you are not going to go and register your gun. You will have unregistered firearm, and you'll be able to commit the murder or crimes you wanted to commit, regardless of the laws. Um, and then there are others that say, well, gun control will have a positive effect. It'll prevent things like, um, you know, massacres at the Sandy School and, and that sort of thing. So what is your view on gun control? Well, um, gun control never worked. And any kind of prohibition doesn't seem to work. We have we have laws against heroin and methamphetamines. And, uh, you know, despite those laws being on the books, uh, actually I can get I can find those items quicker than I can get my hands on a firearm. That, that, that's, that just goes to show you how... How laws, you know, if you're a criminal, they don't really mean much. So, you know, trying to control firearms isn't, isn't um, you know, isn't going to work, and it, it never will. Any kind of prohibition, we learned that with alcohol. You know, the fact there were more people drinking during prohibition than any other time, I think, in this country, uh, because it was illegal. When something's illegal, people tend to find themselves attracted to it. Now, what would you think about something like uh, like the sponsor of today's show, uh, Trigger Smart? They've created an RFID smart gun that will only fire if the uh, the person holding the gun has either an embedded chip or a chip that's placed in a piece of jewelry, um, and it won't fire otherwise. What do you think about something like that? I'm familiar with that technology, and uh, you know that that has some positive aspects to it but you know what happens when the batteries are dead then what you need it work fire no so um trying to take the, the human brain out of the of the equation you know again it, what has happened you know over the last 30 40 years is that firearms education has been pushed aside when i went to, in sixth grade we, we had a hunter safety class Okay, they don't teach that in school anymore. You know, we we can't even we can't even have a pop tart shaped like a gun in school anymore without it, without suspending the kid. That 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 is probably the most harmful thing that we've done in our country is to make people afraid of these things. These are tools. This is like screwdrivers or hammers or gasoline or matches. These are tools, and they need to be, you know, education at an early age and responsible handling of these things. You know, this is something I, I grew up with firearms. You know, I've been shooting since I was, you know, in, in and um, it takes um, it takes education, responsible parenting, the handling of these things, and uh, you know, all all tools can be misused. You know, whether it's a saw or a drill or a hammer or a screwdriver or a firearm, uh, they need to be properly handled. And unfortunately, uh, well. A lot of common sense has been tossed by the wayside over the years, and unfortunately, it, it starts in our, you know, it goes back to our schools. Uh, Are you suggesting I, that course, education would be a better safety mechanism than gun control laws? Absolutely. Well, absolutely, because anytime you, well, again, you can't, you, you can't legislate your way to safety. Uh, I think Ben Franklin brought that up, you know, uh, uh, about 300 years ago, uh, you know, you, you can't. You, you can't be. It's impossible because the criminal is always going to find a way. You know. Uh, you know in fact, uh, you know, gasoline matches, ammonium nitrate fertilizer. These are all you know, uh, readily available, and you can kill a lot more people with those than you can with a firearm. And that's been proven. And um, you know, I, it doesn't matter. You know, we, we have laws against drunk driving. You know. And, do those work? No. Uh, here in Arizona, you get a ten, you get a ten day jail sentence, like a four thousand dollar fine. But every Memorial Day weekend, they'll arrest like eight hundred people for driving drunk. So it doesn't really, you know, the laws don't mean nothing to criminals. Right. All right, uh, Harry. I'd like to thank you very much for being on with us today and for sharing your views and the views of your organization. How many members would you say your organization has right now? Uh, I'm really not sure about that, and if I even knew, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you because uh, we're, we're not allowed to discuss those numbers as far as how big we are. But um, each member of our organization is, is a force multiplier, too. We have a lot of supporters, and uh, the, the uh, neighborhood I happen to live in is a valley. It's about 10 miles long, and I have a, 
a network of people, you know, throughout this entire area who will, you know, often turn to me when they have, you know, you know, drug or human smuggling problems and things. So each one of us tend to be force multipliers in our communities. So, um, you know, that being said, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a few people who support what we do. This, a large percentage of them would probably not join our party, but they, gotcha. they, they will back us up. All right, Harry, I'd like to thank you again for being on. Um, you know, I told you prior to the show going live that oftentimes after broadcast we have people who, um, you know, download the episode and then have questions, and uh, you said that you'd be interested in coming back to answer some of those questions, so I'd like to thank you for that, and uh, and thank you uh, again for being on. Sure, it's been a pleasure, and I'd be more than happy to, you know, you know, answer anyone's questions that happen to come along. And uh, we also have a, a website that, you know, also, you know, profiles some of the things that we do and you know, our activities. There's a lot of photographs and, um, and video and things for people to look at. All right, Harry. Thank you again. You have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, so that was uh, Harry Hughes member of the National Socialist Movement, and uh, he was giving his uh, opinions concerning gun control and immigration and uh, sort of giving his background. Um, you know, it's very hard to look at this this group, the National Socialist Movement, and, and fully understand how it is different than the hate groups that are identified uh, by the Southern Poverty Law Center or other organizations. And quite frankly, um, it's, it's hard to, um, to really make a distinction because on one hand, you have an individual, Harry Hughes, who is doing certain things that seem to be the same activities that that our own government is engaged in. So, for example, prevention of um, of illegal drug smuggling into the country. We have our own task forces. You know, the government is actively patrolling the borders to prevent drug smuggling. No country wants drugs from another country being brought brought in. I mean, that's that's a, a fact. And and he's working with people, and so that that seems like a good thing. But then, conversely, you've got the organization's belief that uh, it needs to be an all-white society, which just so contradicts a lot of the, um, the, the positive, if you will, aspects of, of the organization. And, you know, I, I don't know how one differentiates between the Nazi symbol and and a Germanic symbol prior to the Nazis because uh, Hitler took the symbol and made it his own and made it Nazi uh, and made it a fascist symbol um, that that is filled with hate and you know whether or not um, you're you're fully uh, understanding of the history of World War Two or not I mean there are terrible atrocities that occurred. And Nazism doesn't work. It's filled with hateful rhetoric. It's adverse to every humanitarian um, goal that people have. And so it's, it's very, very hard to sort of see the political nature of the organization and compare it to something like a, like a Ron Paul when there seems to be a, a, a stumbling block or um, a desire not to distance themselves from the, the Naziistic symbolism. You know, and the fact that, that um, you know, Harry on one hand is saying, let's let's prevent against illegal immigration and people who are here productive and legal, that's okay. But then, you know, you can't necessarily say, all right, but we still want it to be an all-white society. So it's very, very confusing. Um, 
you know, and, and when you try to study it to say, well, how is the National Socialist Movement a political group that's not a hate group? And then you look at sites like the, the Southern Poverty Law Center and you look at the backgrounds of some of the individuals in the leadership positions. They're very, very hard and very confusing for people to sort out. Um, you know, it, it's hard to you know, understand this distinction that, that's, that they're attempting to make. Um, you know, you, you can't have an all-white society. It just, it's impossible. And people who are looking for an all-white society, you know, you can go back and you can take the Declaration of Independence, you can take the forefathers and you can create this argument uh, the same way you can go to the Bible and create an argument that supports whatever belief it is that you are trying to, um, you know, to push forward. So it's easy to go back and say, well, our forefathers believe that society should be all white. But it was a different time. And I, I don't see how uh, that belief is consistent with today's society, with the civil rights movement, with the fact that you know people are created equal. And if you look to any religion... You know, as far as I am aware, there's equality. God, whatever the God that you believe in may be, whether it's the Christian God or um, the Muslim God, God created people, and they're the same. So it's hard to understand the difference between the purported political elements of this, because from a political standpoint, someone like Ron Paul he makes good points. I, I think that Democrats and Republicans, I think that people who are um, you know, familiar with, with what he is saying with respect to the country, I think that there are people on both sides that say there are elements of what he's saying, Ron Paul we're talking about, uh, that, that makes sense. But Ron Paul is not flying a swastika on his flag. And so Ron Paul has credibility because Ron Paul is not affiliated with a group that identifies itself with the Nazi movement. I don't see how you can have any hope of pushing forward a legitimate political agenda when the organization is so clearly focused on Nazism. And personally, Nazism in my world is equated with hate. And there's no way to separate the hate and violence that came out of Nazi Germany with the political view of benefiting anyone. So it's very hard to, to say, yes, on one hand, there's elements of what's being done that are acceptable, when the vast majority, the theme that runs throughout these organizations is, is that of intimidation and fear. And, um, you know, it's not mainstream. It's not, it's not a Ron Paul. It's not someone who's espousing political views in an effort to maintain the integrity of the United States with all of its members of different races and nationalities and creeds who are here legally. I mean, it's one thing for a country to say immigration reform is necessary because having people here in this country, or any country for that matter, that are not applying and are not um, properly approved citizens is a tax, a drain on law enforcement, on the economical system, the economic system, uh, the educational system, the infrastructure of the company, uh, the country. So I can understand that. That's why countries have immigration laws. That's why the United States has an immigration program where people can immigrate to this country so long as they do so legally. So I understand that political aspect of it, but it's the other stuff that just seems so adverse to what this country has become you know it, it always has been 
a melting pot, and it's, it's always been something where people come here to make a better life. And if you look at the history of the, the country, wonderful things have occurred from manufacturing standpoint, economic standpoint, legal standpoint, by people who are of many different races and creeds and religions. So I, I think that, like I'm saying, it's, it's so difficult to take this message and, and this political view and say, yeah, it's, a, it's purely a political view. It, it, it's very hard. It, it's seemingly impossible. Because I can't get past the use of the symbolism. I can't get past the use of the uniforms. I can't get past the rhetoric or the affiliation with other groups like the Ku Klux Klan, because how can anyone say that the Ku Klux Klan is a valuable organization when you look back at the history of the Klan and what they did to African Americans? I just cannot see it. So, interesting to hear another party... um, somebody who you would consider more more extremist, um, talk about their views and their opinions on things. Clearly his, his view on gun control is something that many others uh, also believe and, and who are not members of, um, of this group. And, and you know, just to, to reiterate, uh, if you look this group up, they're listed as a hate group. Whether that's what they want to portray themselves as or not makes no difference because that's what the world sees them as. And clearly, with the continued use of Nazi symbolism and Nazi ideology, uh, it it does seem to be a hate group. So, um, again, any of the views that were expressed on today's show by our guests are not the views of um, this podcast, the host, or of the law firm. It was simply meant to present another view and to give a 360-degree sort of analysis to some of the issues that we have spoken about in the past uh, with respect to gun control and immigration. So I'd like to thank everyone for um, listening to this episode. I would like to remind you that uh, you can leave questions and comments On our Facebook page, Uh, you can tweet us, and all of this information is available either at our um, podcast site, which is www.understandingthelawradio.com, or available on our YouTube page or our main uh, law firm website, which is www.peterlamontesq.com. Uh, We welcome comments. We welcome suggestions concerning new topics. Uh, We do have a number of exciting guests coming up in the near future, and you should look on the Facebook page and our other social media sites uh, to see who will be coming on. We're going to be doing some giveaways. Um, We are going to have some people who uh, I think are fairly well-known. We'll obviously give you more details uh, in the near future. Uh, Also, Again, please subscribe to us on our YouTube page. Uh, After the audio portion of this podcast airs, we will put up a video. And, uh, you know, there's some footage of of our guests. There's some uh, interesting information on the video portion. So subscribe. And don't forget to download our app exclusively on the Apple iTunes Store. It's an app that will allow you to ask legal questions directly from your iPhone or iPad have them answered by an attorney, and um, it's all free of charge. So thank you. Make sure you tune in next time. Remember that there's power in understanding the law.
huge savings on new and previously leased furnishings. That's right, huge savings. At Court Furniture Clearance Center, choose from our wide variety of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home or office. You'll find sofas from $199.99 and more. Everything in our 9,000 square foot showroom is Court certified, guaranteed, and in stock. Ready for delivery or to take home today. Visit our Candley Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com. Mention Radio 20 and get 20% off.